Hi, I'm Fred Schonenberg, and thank you for joining me on the Venture Fuel podcast. At Venture Fuel, we help companies find new solutions by partnering with the best startups from around the world. On the show, you'll learn the secrets of business leaders who tap into startups and the founders driving extraordinary results. We'll consider new ideas, stretch our mindsets beyond the status quo, and in the process, discover how to leap the competition and fuel personal growth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Venture Fuel Visionaries podcast. I'm your host, Fred Schonenberg. On today's show, we have Chris Hewish. Chris is the president of XSOLA, which accelerates video game commerce globally. Thousands of game makers and developers have used XSOLA solutions to successfully fund, market, launch, and monetize their games. Today, we talk about this monetization of the creator economy, how gaming offers a window into our future, and what the world can learn from this fintech meets gaming giant. So please join me in welcoming Chris Hewish. Chris, it's so nice to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Frank. So for those that don't know, can you give them an intro to Exola and maybe a little bit about your background and role within the organization? Absolutely. Exola is a company that focuses on the video game industry. We really do sit at that intersection of fintech and video gaming, and we're all about helping game companies conduct commerce on a global scale. We've been around for 18 years now, but it's really been the past probably four years, five years that we've seen a lot of growth, a lot of traction. We have offices worldwide. We're close to 800 people with offices on every continent, every region, and pretty exciting. It's a, it's a great time. And I mentioned you know, in my intro a little bit, I, I think of you all as sort of like this intersection of fintech and gaming. Is that, is that a fair assessment? That is a fair assessment. You know, we, we really provide co- all the commerce-related tools that a company would need to go direct to consumers on a global scale. And this includes everything from our payments API that accesses over 700 different payment systems globally uh, to our web shop for mobile games that helps companies expand beyond the app stores. We do a whole bunch of other things, but these two have been the primary business drivers for us over the years. And, you know, over these past few years, I joined about three years ago and I could loop back a little bit to just sort of my role in the company and then talk a little bit more about this intersection. So as president, I oversee all of our sort of customer-facing, outward-facing endeavors. I work with our business development teams, our regional directors, account management, marketing, research, market research, all of that, and uh, joined the company after a long career in the games industry, working in development, production, ran several game studios, ran different uh, business units for media companies. So this has been a real chance to go from working on the content creation, the marketing side of things, the go-to-market side, to really getting into the commerce and fintech side of it at scale. I love it. I mean, one of the things that's it's been interesting over time, we've had uh, you know partners from Andreessen Horowitz to the CRO of Twitch on our show talking to us about the future potential of uh, the creator economy. And this idea is that that is where the future revenue is going to come from. The future creative folks are going to start to build uh, and that the creator economy is going to be a real sort of benchmark of the economy overall. Curious from your perspective, like how does Exola enable 
the commercial growth for these creators? So we really take the look that we want to democratize the business of games and content creation for everybody by providing all the tools and solutions that any creator would need to compete at scale, regardless of whether it's an individual or a large organization. And the creator economy, it's very timely. It's already over a $100 billion market by, by many estimates, while games are about two and a half times that size right now. You know, I think when you look at the creator economy and where it's going over the next few years, I almost think of it as creator economy 2.0, growing beyond just the what we think of as the creator economy on YouTube and, and Twitch and things like that, but really getting into a creator economy where there's a blurring of the lines between consumer and creator. You know, obviously very buzzy right now, but generative AI, that's a big part of that. It's going to really further bring down the walls and, and allow anybody to be a creator in a much more productive and direct way than what we currently have as a creator economy. So for us, you know, when we think about it, our whole sort of model and approach to business, we're not out to pick winners and losers or to advocate for or endorse a particular technology or a particular model. What we are going to do, though, is provide the commerce infrastructure that you would need to succeed regardless of what platform or technology you want to use. So we see all these great things coming up. We want to provide the infrastructure so that creators can succeed in these new markets the same way that we've done for game makers. I love it. It's, you know, so the, the creators, the game developers can focus on the art of what they're trying to create, but they can be supported with actual financial tools. I mean, one of the things that immediately attracted me to Exola was that you guys embrace monetization as an essential part of developing a video game. And it, it just reminded me of when I first started Venture Fuel, the sort of, I'll call it the startup petting zoo was a very popular concept of a, a big corporate going to Silicon Valley and looking at a bunch of startups, doing nothing with the startup and going back to their day job. And I was like, wait a second, this is a waste of everybody's time. Like, can't we focus this on commercialization, delivering tangible outcomes? You know, there's the art piece, but there's a business. And so would love if you could expand a little bit on that, you know, how you guys are enabling the creative business with customized solutions to reach audience and end revenue goals. Absolutely, Fred. So when you look around the video game industry, you'll see that there's been this great evolution of tools over the years that allow teams of any size to create content and create content that had previously been attainable only by extremely large and well-funded teams. And now you could argue that really anybody can create AAA content using tools like Unreal Engine and Unity on the content creation side of it. Also, a similar set of tools and solutions exist when you're looking at getting, getting your game out to market or getting generating awareness for it. So there's a lot of solutions when it comes to ad tech and to building communities and between the advertising and the social side of everything. So everything you would need to create your game and to generate awareness for it, there's all these great solutions. What we noticed is that there was really a third piece of that, sort of that's the, the three legs of the stool that was missing. And that's the business side of it, the commerce side of it. So we stepped in and we've created what you could essentially think of as a business engine. The same way you have your game content creation engines, you have your advertising and marketing engines. Well, we create a business engine that handles everything a company would need to monetize 
and conduct, conduct commerce at scale. That's really where we found a, a space uh, to step into. And we saw, saw this need in the market and you know, we, it, it really combines a number of different things. So it lets developers focus on making great games without having to worry about things like what are the best payment systems for regional markets? Um, how the heck am I gonna handle digital sales tax and compliance on a global scale? Or even how am I going to deal with fraud and chargebacks? And, and it goes way beyond that. Things like login systems and uh, account management systems and all of that. So we really saw that there was a need in the market for that. And you know that is sort of our innovation that we're delivering to the ecosystem to empower people to do all of this commerce while still being able to focus on doing what it is that they really want to do, uh, which is make great content and, and advocate uh, on a, on a large scale. I love it. I mean, it's so, it's so smart, right. To, to create that business engine. I mean, uh, I immediately start thinking of other creators and artists that, you know, maybe you're a great writer and it's like, okay, well you wrote this great book, but if you don't get it to the right places and you don't get it on shelf and you're not able to deliver it to Amazon, right. And all, all those tools may exist to make that easier like a Shopify, right? If somebody's creating a store, but there's a million things about the, the logistics. And of course, when you're talking about going to regional markets, how do you handle sales tax, all the, the compliance on that side, it's stuff that most creators or developers like either don't have experience with or don't want to spend time on, or it's not the right place for them to spend time. So I, I think it's such a smart opportunity for all involved. I'd love to kind of pivot over to the fact that you're working with indie games as well as these AAA games. Can you talk about the difference of what it's like when you're working with, say, a Roblox or a Twitch or Ubisoft, or when it's more of the, the indie focus? Tongue-in-cheek, you know, the first thing is the number of people on a call. <laughs> so, yeah, there's certainly more now. But uh, it's really been interesting working with, with this great portfolio of, of partners that, as you said, they range from great market leaders, right, who are really setting the tone and are identified when, as, as the gaming market when people think of it, all the way down to startups that are creating the next generation of hits. And, you know, in some ways, they all face the same problems, um, but at a different scale. And we've talked a little bit about that briefly. We don't have to go into depth, but taxes, compliance, all this kind of stuff, everyone has to deal with it. It's different scales. And, you know, the commonality is nobody really wants to spend resources building up these big backroom teams to handle all of it or building up teams to handle customer support for billing disputes or dealing with payment providers. So in that sense, you know, it's very similar regardless of size. It's a common issue. It's just a different scale, right? Whether you're an indie or, or a massive company. Where things get different and get interesting is how these larger companies are often focused on improving their margins. You know, they've kind of reached a stage of maturity in their core business. And then now they're looking at like, okay, how do we, this is a margin play at this point, right? We've, we've really grown as much as we can with the core business, but how do we continue growth? And that can be through improving margins or maybe reaching secondary ancillary markets or business models that we hadn't initially thought of. Big companies are thinking about that Indie startups, they're still just trying to think of how do we get that core, you know, yeah. that core opportunity uh, maximized, right? They're not even worried about doing secondary things or improving their margins. So that's where we, the work gets a little bit different between startups and, and what we call enterprise partners. A great example of this is how we're helping 
Roblox uh, with their gift card business. And so this was a, a unique opportunity that presented itself uh, a few years ago without any easy solution. It sounds simple, gift cards, but it's actually a pretty complex um, solution, especially when you start talking about it uh, regionally beyond just, just a single region. Fortunately, our, understand, our understanding of, of the games industry and the specific needs of gamers and, and you know, where they go to, to try to purchase things allowed us to um, create a custom solution for Roblox that has been a really good addition you know, to their business. And because we had all of the backroom infrastructure already in place to handle commerce, we were able to fill this need without increasing costs for either our partner or ourselves. And, and it truly became a win-win. I love that. I mean, I think where, where my head went when you said this was about a year ago, we had Kathy Hackle on the show, who's the godmother of the metaverse, I believe was, was the name of the episode. Uh, and she was talking to me about Roblox and the fact that uh, my son, who's three, is going to want his Roblox character be to have Air Jordan skins, right? More than he's going to want to have Air Jordans. And it always just blew my mind because I I've always remembered really wanting Air Jordans as a kid, never being able to get them, uh, but that my son would be thinking that way. And when you just said gift cards, I never even thought about that, that of course the kids are going to want gift cards as part of this and what an amazing present that would be. But the logistics of doing that, you know, it, it must be immense and your company is very well positioned uh, to deliver that. So I think that's, that's, that's really incredible as an idea. And since I mentioned Kathy, I will naturally transition into the metaverse. A lot of our large corporate clients are trying to understand what is the metaverse, what is Web three, uh, and and often we advise them. You know, your first step should be to look at gaming as an early example, first mover on how these opportunities may play out down the road. Curious from your perspective, where you all sit is: Do you have any advice for large organizations as they start to think about what these future states may hold for their business? Absolutely, Fred. And this may sound a little passe, but it, but it's very, very true, and I'll unpack it. But first and foremost, be authentic. You know, anyone looking at the metaverse as a get-rich-quick scheme for their business, uh, an easy way to raise new capital with some buzzwords, or you know, just a checkbox on their go-to-market strategy, they're going to most likely be disappointed with the results. The potential is is great, and we're still in the early days, and and there are no clear guidelines to follow. And that's okay. You know, the technology is there. It's a great opportunity to create something that really stands out and amplifies your business. But you first and foremost need to understand not only your business so you can be authentic, but you need to understand the space and how it fits within your authentic, you know, uh, value proposition or your, your business. And this is where, the, you know, that authenticity comes into play. You need to take the time, understand your organization, what it means to the customers. And then what's unique about this new platform, and then create something that combines the unique nature of the new tech in a way that's authentic to your brand and your core value proposition. And this is something that I advise on, on any new technology. And it's something that I've lived through personally throughout my career a couple of times with some new technologies that have come in. But the advice is, you know, don't just don't copy what everyone else is doing or try to overlay what worked from another medium onto this new, new medium, because that's gonna fail. And I'll give a few examples just from, from what I've seen to illustrate my point. 
The first one was when smartphones and mobile games kind of came onto the scene. With the App Store in particular, when, when all of that launched and mobile gaming, everyone realized, hey, there's a great opportunity here. There's a huge interest in this new platform. A lot of large and established game companies rushed to get games onto smart devices. And they simply assumed that the same old gameplay that worked on 2D for PC or console, the same mechanics, even the same business models like premium, you know, pay for premium content, um, that that would all work right on the mobile device. Because, hey, you know, we're leaders in the space and it's worked on PC or console. They didn't really take the time to understand the market, understand the form factor of the new devices, understand player behavior even right? Related to mobile, like where are people actually using these devices and how are they engaging with them? How is that different from what you're already doing? And the result was a huge failure and an inability for the biggest game companies in the world to succeed in the space. Back then, they've since succeeded through acquisitions and through all of that. And you can do that when you're, you know, you have the power of of being a, a leader in the space. But in the early days, it opened the door for a whole new generation of game companies who came in with new genres of games, new progression uh, mechanics, new engagement mechanics, and most importantly, new business models that took advantage of of the scale of this platform, such as free-to-play and uh, gotcha mechanics and things like that, which really didn't work on PC console uh, because the scale was different, right? And that was much more of a premium-driven ecosystem. Pay 60 bucks for your game, they sell a few million units, you're great. The smartphones and, and this ecosystem you had hundreds of millions, billions of potential players. So you could go free to play. And if you're making a few cents per user, you're making significantly more than you ever did before. So take the time to, you know, don't be the big old game companies that tried to do the same thing on mobile that work on PC or console. Understand the medium, understand the metaverse. It's different. Ask yourself, okay, here's my company. And I know what we stand for, what our value proposition is, but what does it mean for the particular behavior that these users are? Where are they going to be plugging into the metaverse? Okay, the form factor of the devices mean that there may be shorter sessions, right, of engagement. Um, So what can I create that will take advantage of that? The way I'm going to convey information is different, right? Um, We saw this particularly in VR, which was another great example, where a lot of companies got into VR And they assumed what would have worked on flat screen would work in VR, particularly around the areas of storytelling. And you had a lot of companies going in and saying, well, you know, we're going to put text into VR. And and it's like, really? You know, that breaks the immersion. So they had a shift to more of environmental storytelling to, to really get the users engaged. So similar to that example in the metaverse, how are you going to tell your story in this immersive environment? in a way that won't break the immersion. So all these little lessons, you know, they really all come down to to really three things, which is be authentic in understanding who you are, what your value proposition is, understand what's unique about this platform and how the users are engaging with it. And finally, um, understand what kind of business models are actually uh, applicable to this platform that might be different than what you've had before. Right. So don't try to overlay the same model if the platform is going to have a different scale, different engagement behaviors, all of that. So that's kind of a long explanation, but to sum it up into those three things. And there's history to show, right, of how you should approach this. 
it's so funny when when you were talking, it reminded me of one of the first VR demos I ever saw. Uh, and it was for a, a Fortune 500 company. And, you know, they were super excited. They were early to the game, right? And the VR experience was, I put on a headset and I was in a movie theater and I watched their 2D Super Bowl spot. And that was the end of the experience. And I was like, this is not what VR is supposed to be. Like you, you can't take your 2D ad that was, you know, 90 seconds long and that be the experience. Like, you know, and I, I think that there is a, a tendency to want to jump in uh, without understanding who's there, how they're going to use it. Why should your brand or company be there? What's the unique value, the authenticity? Uh, so I love your, your three points of advice. I think that's fantastic. Let me do this. A lot of what we do is looking out into the future about what's next. And so help us peer out 10 years from now. How has the gaming and the world in general changed in a way that would surprise our listeners from your perspective? Personally, I th for me, I think that the entire ecosystem of content creation will look different than it does today. You know, we're still at a point where content creation is still kind of professional. I mean, even what we consider to be amateurs or casually created content that we'll see on, on social platforms, that's still professionally created behind the scenes, right? There's a whole team that's helping any influencer, you know, create their content or make their videos. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I said earlier on, I think Creator 2.0, I think, you know, we're already starting to see the beginnings of this and I expect it to really accelerate over the, over the next 10 years with things like distributed development, allowing people from all over the world to really contribute and work together. Generative AI, you know, obviously that's, that's huge. Continued improvement in tools and automation. All of this is gonna change the old model of how content was created. And uh, it really will allow any, truly anybody to create content and to create high production value content, I believe in, in 10 years. And it also, not just the ecosystem of, of the tools, but I think the skill sets that are required to create this content are going to change dramatically. And that's something that there's been a, some discussion around that, but I think really diving into that deeper is going to be one of the challenges over the next few years for companies when it comes to their workforce. And, you know, if, if you have powerful generative AI tools or, or, or powerful, you know, collaboration tools or, or things like that, it really changes the skills that are required to succeed with those from what we currently have. So I think that's gonna be a big challenge. That's something that we're just at the beginning stages of. So I'm really excited to see how that evolves. And I also think that the, I really expect that the divide between consumer and creator, which is already beginning to blur, will just fully you know, go away. You know, I think all the aforementioned changes will have the ability for creators and, and, game, and game makers to become or sorry, for, for gamers to become the creators of the games, right, that they're playing. And just a lot of disruption from this standpoint. We're seeing the seeds of it, but uh, just a blurring of the lines, content creation everywhere, and uh, consumers becoming creators as well. Yeah, I mean, I think even just in our, our exchange before the podcast, uh, one of your notes that you sent was, you know, the games will become the creations of their players. Like that's such a powerful sentence and really unlocks everything you just said uh, is there's an, all these amazing, amazing technologies coming out that are enabling that to become a reality. And uh, for anyone listening, thinking about what that means, 
if, you know, for industries, for, for brands that are involved in gaming, there's just so many different pieces to it. Uh, but it's a very big and uh, interesting idea that I agree with you is accelerating. And I think has tremendous uh, potential for all different folks. I'll get you out of here on this. Is there a game technology or startup out there that you're particularly excited about or is, you know, that you're telling your friends about? I mean, gosh, there's so many, right? So many games and technologies. We've been in a bit of a drought with games over the past few years, for sure. But, uh, you know, I think we're seeing that go away. So many startups. Um, and this is such a such a safe answer. It's impossible to pick one. But <laughs> so I will go kind of to the macro level of, of two big trends that I'm excited about. One is what we just talked about, the continued blurring of lines between consumer and creator. And I love how that challenges the old analog mindset of, you know, how to manage or operate a, a brand or a game. You know, I love that instead of creating a single piece of consumable content with a one-way dialogue to your audience, that as a company, you need to think about how we're growing into a world where you're creating an ecosystem or a space for your customers to embrace and evolve the content themselves. Obviously, with some guardrails, but really this shift of old analog approach to where the we're sort of the arbiters of what's good as a company, we're going to create it and put it into a market that's consumed to companies. And this is a big shift companies are going to have to look at. And this is why I'm kind of excited about startups that are you know, looking at this space, a shift to, okay, we're not just sort of the arbiters of what good content is. We're more the people that are going to create an ecosystem and, and help curate that and let the consumers actually grow it and take it in directions that are of interest to them. I think that's it's a big shift that companies will have to face. And I'm really excited to see the technologies that support that and the startups that are embracing that. So I think that's one. And then the second thing is just on the business side of things, of, of what I just mentioned, and how we're seeing a continued push uh, for companies to go direct to consumer, especially as you talk about the creator economy. It's all, you know, not peer-to-peer, but it's sort of an analogy. It's almost peer-to-peer. You're going direct and building direct relationships with customers and with companies and being able to leverage all of this to create a better experience for everyone. This also means that there will be a shift, and this is, I'm really curious to see how this plays out, but a shift in the current power dynamic where third-party platforms are truly acting as gatekeepers between the content creators and the consumers you know, we've already started to see a change in this, and I think it's going to accelerate over the years. Um, you know, something I really talk about is we're at a point now where we're seeing an increase in the cost to acquire users uh, at the same time that the value of those users, the lifetime value is increasing um, in the gaming world. That That's primarily because games are moving from a, a single product with a two to three year lifespan to 10 plus year forever games. So you have this dynamic where it's more expensive than ever to acquire users, and those users are more valuable than ever, but you're just losing them to a third-party platform. So the desire to go direct to consumer and and expand beyond these third-party platforms, there's a real business sort of rationale for that or or, justification. So I'm really curious to see how that all evolves, and I I think that's going to be another big change, a beneficial one to, to everybody at the end of yeah, it's it's super interesting. I mean, we're seeing that outside of gaming, right? In terms of like packaged goods, this sort of direct to consumer model, uh, and and really, the value there is around the direct relationship. It's less about the like the incremental sale, right? Of like, oh, I just sold Pampers to 
to the mom directly versus through Target. But it's more like, oh, now I am connected. I now have a relationship with that mom who, by the way, can buy all the other products that we sell and now can buy our Pampers on a subscription or can just come back to us. Uh, and I think what's interesting about the gaming world, right, is that direct relationship and the willingness with guardrails, of course, of enabling that person to co-create, expand on the games in the ecosystem uh, that you've created. And of course, buy the add-ons and all the other things or the next game that comes out, that value is so immense. And to your point, it's not a two to three year lifestyle. It's not flipped to the next game. It's, hey, this is a community and this has the opportunity to be a 10-year lifetime value type consumer and customer and part of your ecosystem. Uh, so it's a really, really big and interesting advancement and idea that I think is going to play out across many, many different industries. Absolutely, Fred. Chris, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with everyone today. And, and thank you for all you're doing to spark change. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. This was fun. Thanks so much for joining us today. It was such a great conversation with Chris. I love this intersection of fintech and gaming, as well as where the creator economy is going to go and how large corporations can go direct to consumer and help the creators continue to expand, build new worlds, build new communities where those corporations and brands are playing an integral and enabling part. If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, share it with any colleagues you think might like it. And if you click like or write a review, we'd really appreciate that. You can always follow us at Venture Fuel on LinkedIn. That's where we post uh, new episodes and all sorts of different events that we're doing. So we appreciate your time and look forward to having you join us on the next episode. Thanks so much. <laughs>